Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So to kick this one off, got some sad news to report. Lost two spiders this weekend. Nothing that I didn't see coming. There were two older females that after their last molt just haven't been the same. And that seems to be when they go, I've noticed, especially with the older ones, they have that last molt and things just aren't, they aren't eating as well. Their posture isn't as good. I had this happen with the queen last time. She, her last molt afterwards, it was just, the writing was on the wall. But anyway, it was my Carabina Versicolor female that I actually bred several years back. I have one of her daughters now, which is great because I do have, I hate to say a replacement for her because nothing's going to replace her. She's been in my collection for quite some time. Love that girl. But it's cool that she's able to live on through her offspring. And then the other one was my P. Muranus, my OBT, the one that I absolutely adore. She has been a sweetheart from day one. And one of the ones I often post pictures of on Instagram, if there's anything on Instagram, it's her on YouTube. I've done a couple videos on her just to show people that they're not as vicious and quote-unquote dangerous as folks like to make them out to be. She's always been a favorite. She was one that I noticed her last molt, she was coming out and about a lot more. She still seemed to be eating okay, but just the posture was off. I came down one day and I told Billy, I go, I think she's on her way out. She doesn't seem to be eating. She's kind of all curled up in the corner. She just didn't look right. And then she ate. And I'm like, okay, she's doing all right. Well, then she didn't eat the last couple of times. I dropped in some mail. I've had an explosion of male red runner roaches. And I dropped a couple in with her and came back the next morning. And they were still in with her. I had to try to pluck them out. And the other day I came in, she was sitting. She had webbed up behind I last time I rehoused her, I gave her a bunch of stuff to web to. She created a little web burrow behind everything, and she was sitting there looking calm as can be. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some pictures of her. And I started to get in there with the phone, and I moved a couple things around. I noticed she doesn't seem to be responding at all to the fact that I'm obviously – usually what happens is I open that enclosure. She at least shrinks up a little bit. And so we aborted the photo shoot. I took the cage out, and sure enough, when I opened the cage up, she didn't move at all. She had passed, which – Again, not unexpected, but still upsetting. It's a spider I've raised from a sling. It's a female I've had a long time. And it's one that I think has probably helped to win a lot of people over to trying OBTs because they see how she reacts. They go, oh, well, at least in this case, they're not all the crazy little demon spawns everybody likes to make them out to be. So both of them, the good, I don't know if it's good news, but I did kind of see it coming. So it wasn't a shock. I've been monitoring them both, but still upsetting. They did have long lives. I believe both of them are over 11, close to 12. One might be 12, one might be 11. Either way, good long lives. I will definitely miss them. Luckily, I do have other P. Muranus. I said, this isn't funny, honestly, but sadly, I picked up what was supposed to be P. Muranus, no color form, a while back. And unless I'm wrong on this one, these are not no color form. They're all molted. They're all bright orange. So I was looking for the tan one. So the good news is I now have five OBTs ready to roll their you know, young adult stage or whatnot that are looking beautiful, sporting those oranges, upset that I don't have the no-color form that I was looking for. So I have, to, I have to figure out who I would go back and figure out who I bought those from because I'm a little miffed about that. But anyway, I do have other ones. So she, I will have another. I will always have an OBT in my collection, a P. Muranus in my collection. I'll have many P. Muranus in my collection, different color forms because they're just gorgeous, amazing spiders. And I will always have, I believe when we did hobby staples, these were two of my hobby staples, the Caribbean Versicolors. I will always have one of those in my collection. So... Unfortunately, that's part of keeping animals or working with animals and having pets is the fact that they 
eventually they're going to die. And a lot of them, I mean, we're lucky with tarantulas that many of them, you know, females reach 10, 12, 15 years. Some of them, uh, if you're looking at a Phonopelma, Brachypelma, Gramostola species, 30 or 40 years. So we do have a lot of time with them, but it still stings when they pass away, especially when you've had them for that long. So just sharing that bit of information, I may do a video on it. I may not. I hate doing the videos on when they pass away. It's not that I don't want people to be aware of it. It's they're they're not fun videos to make, honestly. I mean, I did the one with the queen, and that one I think I waited almost a year before I was like, all right, I should probably put this out there. She was just so such an important part of the hobby for me, and you know, the whole Tom's Big Spiders thing basically came from me keeping her. So I felt like I needed to do one. We'll see with these guys. I'll probably end up doing something. It's just a lot of times it's like we we do our thing, we bury them, and then we move on. And I hate to open up that whole thing again, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway, on to our next piece of business before we get into the main podcast. I'm going to apologize to our international folks who listen to the podcast because this one does only concern U.S., but I know a lot of you guys are actually interested in hearing about what's going on here as far as you know the tarantula trade, where we get them, where we're allowed to sell them, the legalities of them. So hopefully it'll just be an entertaining piece, and for some of you, it'll be like, thank gosh we don't have to worry about that. But anyway, I was recently talking to Aaron Cashel who, if you remember, I picked up a bunch of Ephibapus slings from, who are doing great, by the way. My gosh, they're growing like weeds. Awesome. I can't wait to do the genus review of them. Of course, I still have one species to get. But anyway, that's not the part of the, the point of this topic. So while chatting with Erin, I found out that she and some other keepers had a project they were putting together. One of the other keepers was Emil, who I've gone back and forth with a couple times via email trying to explain their concerns with the hobby and the fact that right now we are in a very precarious state in the United States as far as the tarantula trade is concerned because we've already had a couple laws come down that have really kind of not laws. We've had laws come down and laws be enforced that really kind of curb what we can get into this country. As I've said a million times, and people are probably sick of hearing it. A lot of the spiders that are sold in this country are imported from Europe. We don't have enough active breeding projects over here to maintain the amount of demand for spiders nowadays, tarantulas in the United States, it's really blown up. The hobby has exploded in the last 10 years, big time. And unfortunately, if we lose the ability to import these species, many of these species from Europe, we're kind of in a spot. So a lot of us, and I've alluded to this many, many, many times, and I think the good thing is people are starting to notice little signs that I'm not just saying the sky is falling, that there is always the potential for some serious, serious regulations that could really put a curb on what we can get in the United States, what type of species we can get. And one of them, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Pisolotheria species. And as everybody is aware of, some legislation in the United States back in 2018, I believe, I believe it was August 2018, I could be wrong on that one, around that time, made it illegal for anyone to sell Sri Lankan species of Pisolotheria. I believe there's five species impacted across state lines or to import them. So that's really scary stuff because quite frankly, I don't know if a lot of people realize this. I love Pizzolatheria species. Having spoken to some dealers, they're not the biggest sellers. Unfortunately, a lot of people shy away from them. They're, they'll look at them from afar. They'll say they're gorgeous, but they're afraid to keep them. So they're not huge movers to begin with. And now all of a sudden, you can only sell them in your own state. So people that have smaller states or states without as many active hobbyists aren't going to feel inclined to keep these species in stock. So that's a scary one. And then 
about around the same time, 2018, I believe, we had some issues with Brazilian species. Everybody remembers, everybody was freaking out that we weren't going to be able to sell Brazilians across state lines. Some dealers stopped selling them. I don't want to rehash the whole thing because, quite frankly, it was one of the most frustrating and scary periods for me. It was a real eye-opener as far as recognizing that when something like this happens, the hobby doesn't coalesce. It just turns to infighting. So that still kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. But anyway, now I believe we're not able to import Brazilian species anymore because none of those were legally ever exported out of Brazil, which means that we're not able to bring them in. However, we are still allowed or still able to sell them across state lines. That could change at any time, though. All it takes is the Fish and Wildlife, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, to say, you know what? Lasiak, nope, they can't go across state lines, and then you would be stuck with whatever Brazilian species you are raising in your own state. That scares the hell out of me, quite frankly, because I'm in a very small state. I can think of two decent-sized dealers that sell tarantulas in my state. I have been made aware that there are a lot more hobbyists out there than I originally thought, but realistically, are there enough dealers out there and vendors and breeders in my state breeding these Brazilian species, breeding these Pisolotheria species to make sure that we never run out of them? I don't think so. So what Erin and her group have come up with is it's called the Tarantula Hobby Sustainment Project. It's something I think we have long needed something like this in the hobby. Unfortunately, we are very good at reacting when stuff happens. We are very good at going, oh gosh, this law that we knew has been around for quite some time is now being enforced. What do we do? And we're terrible at being proactive and putting stuff in place to make sure that we're not screwed if these things go into effect. And again, I point out the fact that I've spent a lot of time during the podcast mentioning the fact that in the United States, we're in a very precarious position. Should the U.S. Fish and Wildlife enact more laws that prohibit us from importing certain species or having them cross state lines? It doesn't need to be limited to Brazil, guys. I want to call that out there. If other countries come in and say, hey, we've never legally exported those, guess what? Same thing happens to everything. It could be a nightmare. And again, I don't want it to be one of those sky is falling things, but I do think we need to be more proactive as a hobby and make sure there are systems in place to ensure we can continue to enjoy keeping these species. So the Tarantula Hobby Sustainment Project, to read from their statement, is their goal is to work within the law to ensure that each state has legal access to these species. So whatever species we may find ourselves right now, Peace Letharia species, we're having some issues with Brazilian species, but should the law come down and say, you know what, you can't traffic any of these guys across state lines, what happens then? We'd have certain states, I'm assuming there's enough breeding, enough breeders, enough vendors that they could keep the hobby going, but I think a lot of states, it would be it would be whittled down to not much. There wouldn't be a lot available. So I think this is an excellent first step in making sure that we are being, I mean, it's almost not proactive now it's kind of reactive in a way only because we've had plenty 2018 this came down the pipe so we're talking four years ago and unfortunately it's taken this long for something to get going but I think a lot of keepers have wanted to do something it's it's tough getting everybody to coalesce and I think that needs to happen if we are going to keep things going we need to put aside our petty differences in terms of you know I like this vendor I like this vendor I like this personality I like this personality I think that's the problem we get so caught up in that crap that we don't look at the bigger picture that we're just cutting our own throats in terms of being able to keep all of the amazing species we're able to keep so right now we're at the ground floor of this they're starting to put out their feelers they're going to be putting some surveys out there the idea is to create a database of who has what so hopefully each state has access to these so for example if somebody in i don't know we'll go massachusetts has a piece of Letharia 
Subfusca male Highland and they've used it and somebody in Connecticut's like, hey, I have a female. I'd like to produce some of these over here. They can do legal trade because you can send breeding males. The idea is that you can send them across state lines if you are legitimately gifting them or if for breeding loans, the idea is you're not able to sell them across state lines. So to coordinate so that people, I'm breeding Acanthoscuria geniculata. I have two females that are ready to go. Somebody over in North Dakota is like, hey, I just had a mature male. Would you like me to send them over? So it's to coordinate. And this is why we really need to come together. This is why people really need to work together on this one. Because it won't work if people are like, well, I'm not going to send them. That's going to send them anything. That's going to be competition. The idea is we're planning ahead of time for if something should go down, just getting something in place. So there's a network there. Should some of these new laws be enacted or should some of the laws that we already have be enforced, we're not left high and dry. So I think it's an awesome idea. I'm 100% behind anything that's going to bring the hobby together in this type of way that's going to get people looking more at, all right, it's not about making top dollar on because I think a lot of us come in, a lot of people come in and they see tarantula breeding as a way to make a lot of money. And there is money to be had. Let's not kid ourselves. They're a luxury item, so to speak. Like, we don't need to own them. We're, we don't have to have tarantulas. It's something that people spend extra money on. It's a pet. You know, there's obviously, and, and it's a trade. And we can never forget that that word is used, the tarantula trade, tarantula hobby. As much as we like to call it the hobby, it is, there is a trade out there. There is a healthy, active trade of these animals, selling them, importing them, all that stuff. And people need to be compensated for it. They're not going to go through all the hassle. I mean, would love, I'd love if everybody just went out there and went, you know what, we're just going to raise these guys and hand them out and give them away. And it doesn't work that way. But we are going to need folks to kind of, again, coalesce and say, all right, let's look at the hobby as a whole. Is there something we can do to help out? Yes, I have a business. Yes, I have a male. Normally, I wouldn't want this male to go out because I want to have this species, but it makes more sense to send that male out to other people and get them in other states. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited about it. I think something like this needs to happen. I hope it gains traction. I hope it works out because I do. I'm in the little state of Connecticut. I do worry that in the not too distant future, I'm going to see the amount of species I can get really whittled down to probably some really easily bred ones. It's just folks in my state that sell tarantulas, they do mail order, they sell out of the state because I don't know if there's enough people in Connecticut to sustain these businesses. So I can't help but worry if these, if they really put the the squeeze on us and made it that we couldn't import any, what would happen in my state? It's just, it's a very worrisome time. Again, I absolutely love these animals. I love talking about them. I love working with them and the thought of just watching my collection slowly, and especially in lieu of, you know, the two recent deaths of the older females watching my selection just slowly die off and not be able to replace them. You know, that list of hobby staples. I, if I were to go through it and mark the ones that would be impacted by something like this, there's probably a good many of them. So I do think it's time that we come together and do something like this. So I'm wholeheartedly behind anything that will bring us together closer as a hobby, create those little networks, create some relationships there so that when it comes down to it, if something like this were to happen, we could continue to have these guys in each state. Everybody could still get access to them. So right now, I believe they're just collecting data, getting people interested. I believe they posted on the tarantula community. It looks like I just got a text from Aaron because I asked her this morning. I realized that I didn't know if they had a website yet. They don't have a website yet. It's still being discussed, but they posted on Arachnoboards. They're going to start spamming all the different groups. So if you see it, you know, sign up. If there's a way to sign up, take the surveys. They're getting the surveys ready. Follow their announcements and contribute if there's any way you can, even if it's just supporting them through passing the word, whatever it may be. But I believe this is a great idea, but it's it's success, honestly, is going to be wholly dependent upon how many people 
support it and jump on. So we need something. Let's see if we can get this going. I will post any links. I will post in the podcast description. I will try to put them up on Facebook as well for people who want to check it out, get some more information. Again, I'm just kind of summarizing some of this stuff. But again, if you're in the United States, it should be a concern. It should be. We need to start doing something. Again, I don't think it's so much proactive, but I guess it is being proactive in a way because some of this stuff hasn't happened yet. We we are speculating there could be more coming down the pipe. I've heard pretty good evidence that there's more stuff coming down the pipe that's going to really kind of hurt the hobby in the U.S., if that's the case, we need to start now trying to come up with a way to keep things alive, keep things going. I think this is an excellent first step. So I will do updates as I have them. We will hopefully keep this thing going. Hopefully there'll be more updates in the future and hopefully we'll watch this thing build up. We'll watch this turn into something across the country and we will feel more secure if we get another bombshell law or notice from the U.S. fish and wildlife about which species that we're able to sell across state lines. I think very, very, very important that we jump on this now. So with that said, we're going to go on to what's going to be our main topic today. And our main topic is going to be when is it okay for a keeper to give advice online? And I'm going to Full disclosure, be very clear here. I'm not going to give everybody a time frame. I'm not going to put down, you know, rules. You should be doing it for this long. You should get these. That isn't what it's about. It's this is going to be something that the individual keeper needs to figure out for his or herself. And this one has popped up quite a bit. I actually had three emails this week. I, I don't know what I said that one of them, I must have said something recently and somebody said they were listening to the podcast and they're like, you know, it got me thinking, when is it okay to start helping other keepers out? And part of this comes from when I sat in on the Invertebrate Club of Southern California's meeting and I, we were talking about YouTube and how to create a YouTube channel and why the hobby can be so difficult as far as, I believe the question was something around the lines of why it can be so difficult for the new people in it. And I was talking about the amount of misinformation out there and the fact that a lot of it comes from folks who sadly don't have a lot of experience yet, but they regurgitate something they see. And it's one of those deals where it's like, if I do a podcast, I can always go back and listen to a podcast. And I've done this a couple of times where I've said something and it doesn't come out right. I don't like the way I'm sounding in it and I can explain it further. And unfortunately, after we got done with talking to the folks in the invertebrate club of Southern California, I thought about some of the things I said, and I was like, man, I hope I didn't come across like a total elitist jerk, because it's never about that. Honestly, I think everybody has something to share when it comes to keeping tarantulas. I think there are many different ways to keep them. I think that a lot of us, our collective experiences are much more, good or bad, are much more powerful than one person's experience. And I've said that many, many times before. But I do feel like there, there are some traps there, especially when we work social media into it, that people fall into when they're keeping spiders where they start sharing stuff, just, hey, this is what I'm doing, these are my spiders, and then find themselves in a position where people start approaching them. Hey, how do you keep them? How do you keep the species? What about this? My spider's doing this. And you want to help out. You may know some of the information, which is great, but what ends up happening is you get into a spot where sometimes people are asking you stuff that's above where you're at, and you feel inclined to answer anyway, because nobody wants to feel stupid. Nobody wants to feel foolish. Nobody wants to put stuff on Instagram and have people come up and ask them questions. And you go, well, honestly, I don't know, even though that might be the truth. That's very, very difficult to do. So I get why it happens. I've seen it happen. The other thing is on Facebook groups. One of the reasons I'm not a big Facebook fan, I made that very, very clear. One of the reasons I don't spend a lot of time on the groups is I find it frustrating sometimes, A, how people are treated when they post. It can be really annoying. And sometimes you see people bad-mouthing that I know for a fact haven't really been in it for that long. And it's like, 
You were just asking me a question like this a week ago. And then other instances, it's folks jumping in and giving bad information. And it's like, I don't know. There's no way to police it. It's, it is what it is. We are in a hobby where, uh, and I've said this before, most of us don't have a lot of folks, whether it be family members, friends in real life that are truly interested in keeping spiders or tarantulas. It's a fact. If you are in a place where a lot of people you know have them, that's great. But there's a reason why a lot of us end up on these Facebook groups, these forums. There's why a lot of people end up on social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. It's a way to reach out and share that love of these animals and have that reciprocated, have people respond in a positive manner and reinforce that everybody wants to have somebody to talk about their hobbies with whatever you're doing. It's not a lot of fun to keep something completely by yourself or do something completely by yourself and not have somebody to share that joy with. So I think a lot of us end up on social media, end up doing this stuff to try to have other folks to communicate with other folks that enjoy our hobby. And I think that's an awesome thing. I do think it does set up some of us to fall into that trap of seeming too much of authorities in something we may not have a lot of experience in. And I think that's where the trouble comes from. I think that's why to date we are still having issues with certain species. And this kind of came out of the podcast I just did about species that people have a hard time with. With the Caribbean Versicolor, I actually had two different people email me and say that people aren't keeping them moist enough. They've just got slings and they're keeping them really, really moist and so far so good. And I was like, oh, here we go. It It's tough because I think there, and I truly believe this, it's important that we all share our experiences, good or bad. If something bad happens, people need to hear it because there are people out there that will hear from people, hey, this is what I did, this works, and they will go, great, that makes sense, I'm going to emulate that. And there are others out there that work kind of in a different way where they're more inclined to listen to what doesn't work and try something different. So if they hear flat out, this doesn't work, this killed my slings, they might steer away from it. So I think all that information needs to be heard. I especially think in terms of when you're talking about difficult slings to raise, those things that don't work, people need to hear that so they shy away from it because there is so much misinformation out there. So should folks be able to share their experiences, good or bad? Absolutely, 100%. I think it's incredibly important that everybody reports what they did, what they're doing, the success rates. I'm not here to stifle anybody or tell people, hey, you can't talk about your tarantulas until you've been keeping such and such amount of time. No, that's BS. That's total crud. What I am going to propose, though, is how we frame it. I think there is a big difference, a very big difference between presenting something in a way that this is what's working for me. This is what I'm doing. This is what's working for me. And coming out there and saying, this is how to do it. This is the right way to do it. Those are two, they may sound very similar. They may sound in the same vein. They're not. In one case, you are telling people, this is how it goes. This is how it works. These are the rules. This is what you must follow to have a healthy spider. The other way you're saying, these are my personal experiences. Take with it what you will. If you frame it in a way, this works for me. I still do this. And I have a lot of people come to me for advice on tarantulas, and I still say this is what has been working for me. I always try to say that so they understand that, A, 
There's other ways to do it. There are probably other people having success to do things differently than what I do. And B, to recognize the fact that I'm not saying this is the be all end all. You do not have to keep it in this enclosure at this exact temperature. Feed them the exact same amount of time. There's a lot of wiggle room with keeping these things. So I do think that how you frame it is more important than what you say. If people would, more people would come out and be able to just go, this is how I keep my tarantula. If more people, and the other thing I'm going to say, as far as, and again, I'm not putting rules on people, but things to think about. You're on Instagram, you post up a picture of a spider. Somebody goes, man, it's beautiful. How do you keep these? Well, this is what's worked for me. And then they ask you a question about that you don't know. Hey, so when breeding these guys, what should I do? Should I moisten the females? Should I up the temperatures? Don't answer if you don't know the answer. I see that a lot where people are just start regurgitating stuff that they read or it's blatantly obvious that they're not quite sure. Don't be afraid to go, hey, you know what? I haven't bred this species yet. I really haven't done any research on it. If you've done research and you've read some stuff, I've done this before where people have asked me because I don't do as much breeding as I would like to. And I think people assume I'm over here breeding all kinds of stuff. The breeding will come when I finally get done with the Thomas Big Spider stuff, have more free time and have time to breed. Right now, it's just I have to be very selective in the species that I breed because there's just not enough time and it's very time consuming. But they'll ask me questions about breeding. If it's a species I thought about breeding, I've looked up information on it. I've found breeding reports. I put together little dossiers of information about them. If I have that, I have no problem passing it over to people. I have no problem passing links to people, but I'm not going to say, hey, well, here's what I did. That doesn't make any sense. And I think, unfortunately, we fall into that kind of social trap of feeling like we don't want to look like idiots. These guys are coming to me as I'm an authority on this. I'm putting pictures out of the spider. I should know what I'm doing. I don't want to look like an idiot. And I think it's very difficult sometimes to just say, hey, I don't know. And I think that's something we can all appreciate. Nobody wants to feel stupid. Nobody wants to feel uninformed, ignorant. But just think about how much better the hobby would be if more folks would do that. Just think of how much of the static of bad information would be reduced if more folks would just say, hey, you know what? I'm not sure. Or here's what works for me. Take out of it what you will. Again, it's I think it's one of those deals, and it always bothers me when there's like something that's obviously an opinion. You can have two different ways of looking at it. There's not necessarily one right and one wrong answer. There's a couple different ways to do it, but people stick to their, this is the right way. This is a, this is the absolute right way. And that's where I think we have issues. Are there some things we can all agree on a, as a hobby? Yes, I do think we've learned a lot by sharing our experiences about a lot of the ways to keep these animals. I do think the spreading of information, especially through social media, through Facebook groups back in the day, more so forums, things of that nature, Reddits, whatever you're on, we have a good way to share our experiences. I just think it's important in how we frame them. Back in the day when I started Tom's Big Spiders, if anybody, I think it's still up there. I don't think I ever changed it because I always try to remind myself that I need to keep that type of perspective on, but it was originally Tom's Big Spiders, a tarantula keeper's journal. And the reason I had that subheading on it was to identify the fact that I'm not telling you this is the be all and end all of tarantula care. I was approaching the website and back then the day it was just a blog to share my experiences with people. This is what I've learned. This is what I'm doing. This is what is working for me. When I did research, this is what I found out. It was a way because I do enjoy research. I know there's some people out there that do not like doing the research thing. I know that critical thinking can be difficult for some people. And I don't mean that in a, in a mean way. I just mean it's it's kind of a skill to recognize, all right, 
I got two pieces of information here. How can I do some detective work and figure out which one's right? They're telling me two different things. One of these is probably right. One of them is wrong. How do I do that? It can be a difficult skill. I enjoy doing it. I'm a geek that way where I like learning new things. I like reading and hearing different opinions and trying to find out, all right, what's closer to the truth? Are both of them true? What's the deal? So I really wanted to share some of that. So the reason I put that Tarantula Keeper's journal up there to say, this isn't me telling you guys what to do. This is one keeper writing down what he's doing. Take from it what you will. And a lot of people took from it. A lot of people had success. And now here we are years later, I'm doing the videos, I'm doing the podcast, but I still try to keep that open mind with it. So again, I think there's no way for me, I would never come on here and tell people, you know what? You don't have the right to tell people about what you're doing. You don't have right to give people tips. That's not true. Everybody's got something to share. I just think it's how we frame it. And I think when it comes to like Instagram, YouTube especially is tough because if you create a YouTube channel, you may not mean to do this, but people are looking at you as an expert. Everybody that's out there right now that's considering that has a YouTube channel, that's considering doing a YouTube channel, keep in mind that people are going to assume that if you're doing that channel, you are some type of expert on it. And that's because a lot of the people that are going to be seeing your stuff are folks that don't have a lot of experience in the hobby and you appear to or probably do have a lot more experience than they do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the expert they want you to be. So it's always important. I have folks a lot ask me, what do I do? I have a YouTube channel and I have people, you know, asking me all the time, all these questions that I don't know. Be truthful. I've done it before. There's many comments out there. I've responded to and said, hey, I'm sorry. I don't know the species or, hey, I haven't kept this or, hey, I'm not sure. Be able to do that and go out there and say, hey, I'm not there yet. That's fine. I think a lot of people think that what's going to happen is, and, and it could, let's call it as it is. YouTube is a beast unto itself and maybe it does undermine your credibility. I would hate to think so, but I think folks are afraid to tell people, hey, you know what? I don't know the answer to that because when you're on YouTube, there's an image you're trying to put out there. You're putting as much as you don't want to admit this. You're putting this stuff out there and in a way you are becoming an authority on it to many of the people that are looking at your channel. And the last thing you want to do when you're putting something out there public is send out the vibe that you don't know what you're talking about. But if you frame it, and I've seen some really good channels where people, I've seen self-deprecating humor. I've seen people just throw it out there like, hey, you know what? I'm learning too. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what's working. I love when people go out there and say, hey, you know what? I, and it stinks because we are also very quick to condemn in this hobby. So somebody will come out there and say, oh, I kept this one too moist. I noticed it was having a hard time. And people will jump on and go, whoa, you idiot. We know we don't keep that one too moist. I hate that stuff. But I love when folks come on there and they put a channel up and they basically say, hey, here are my experiences. I'm not trying to be an expert. This is what's working for me. This is what I've learned. Here's some things I've read. I love when people point to sources. I've learned this from here. I was on a rack of boards and I heard this. I was on a message group and a bunch of people said that because again, that adds more weight to what you're saying. It shows it's not just this keeper pulling this stuff out of his keister and saying it works. It's somebody who has done their research that is actively learning, actively trying to find better ways to keep those spiders. I think there is a way to do it and still build an audience. I do think there are a lot of people out there that do appreciate when they see somebody that is not trying to immediately appear like an expert that is not giving 
advice that's above where they currently at at the, are at in the hobby. I think a lot of people gravitate towards folks like that. And I've shared this information. A lot of people will ask me, how do you start a YouTube channel? What should I do? And I'm the worst person on the planet to ask this because I'm not really doing what most people do. I have a different perspective on it. This isn't something that I'm looking to make money off of. It isn't a business. So I'm pretty much have free reign to just be myself and put my boring rehousing and informational videos up there it's tough if you want to do it for the right reason you're putting the animals first and you are you just want to share your love of these animals I think a lot of folks out there appreciate that I know as somebody who's kept for a while I love when I find a new channel and somebody is talking in a way that they seem confident but at the same time are freely admitting they are in the learning stage they are still trying to learn these animals, maybe learning some husbandry techniques. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And because we kind of have this culture in the hobby that people that ask quote unquote stupid questions or beginner questions that we're asking a million times tend to get jumped all over. I think that some folks find it intimidating to approach people that project themselves as experts because they're afraid to get laughed at, made fun of. I can't tell you how many emails and messages I get a week where the people apologize for quote unquote asking a stupid question before they ask the question. And I never thought the Every once in a while, you get one where you kind of scratch your head, but I don't really find them to be stupid questions. It's it's legit. If it's a question you have, it needs to be answered. We'll answer it. I think because we have a culture in which we jump on people like that, they are sometimes afraid to ask folks that have that air of being an expert about them. So having somebody that may be just slightly above where they're at might be a little more approachable. That person might be more approachable. That person might seem to be a little more understanding. I have been on videos where newer folks are posting and they've been very clear about the fact they're learning and had people comment in a way that the two of them have a wonderful dialogue mentioning the fact that, hey, we're still learning things. What have you, oh, this worked for me. Oh yeah, I heard that too. Great dialogue. That's the way it should be. What we want to avoid is that I have a YouTube channel, I'm being asked questions, and now I'm going to come out there like I'm some big authority on it. I'm on, you know, I've just started keeping tarantulas, I've joined a Facebook group, somebody asks a question that if I'm being real with myself, I didn't know two weeks ago, and now I'm going to jump on them for it and give them a hard time, or... It's a question I had two weeks ago that I didn't get answered, but I want to look like I know what I'm talking about and try to answer the question. That's what we need to avoid. And again, I always joke, people will people, and there's always going to be people out there. We all have friends, family members. I know I have some very close to me that are folks that they have to be experts at everything, even if they don't know what the heck they're talking about. I have a relative that will come into my tarantula room who has zero experience keeping spiders or tarantulas and will start telling me how I should be keeping them and what I should be doing. We all know people like that. We need to tune them out and we need to encourage more people to follow the other side of that to let's not try to all be experts. I don't consider myself an expert. I, there are guys out there that have way more experience with me breeding, seeing them in the wild. When I put myself next to them, I feel like a peon. I do not, what I think I'm good at is reporting on my you know, what's worked for me, what's reporting on information that I've looked up, reporting on research that I've done. That's always what this has been about is trying to help folks out that are struggling with weeding through all the superfluous and quite frankly, many instances, inaccurate data out there on these animals. My goal is always to keep everything. Here's my experiences. Here's what I've also read other people are doing Hopefully this helps some people out and it seems to be working, but I don't consider myself an expert. I'm always learning. I always have issues 
where I'm second guessing myself or I'm worrying that I did something wrong or is there a better way to do this? And I just wish more people would keep that mindset. It's tough though. And I do get it. And I do get the pressures of it. I have been times I've had people say flat out, oh, I thought you knew what you were talking about when I responded to a question they asked that I didn't have an answer for. And I think nowadays I just kind of giggle and laugh it off. But back in the day, that was tough because you didn't want to look like an idiot. You're on there. I have a website. Then I had a YouTube channel. You don't want people going on there going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But I do think it's very important that you let yourself, that you be true to yourself. You recognize where you're at and you don't try to hide that. Don't try to seem like you're more than you are. That's not going to help you in the long run. It's not going to help the hobby. I'm sure if we came together, we could all name some personalities out there that we've seen over the years that will dole out advice that people will argue they really shouldn't be doling out that advice. We all know it happens, but we really need to eliminate. That's why the hobby is so difficult. There's so it's a it's a double edged sword. On one end, we are able back in the 90s when I first got into it, there was none of this. There was nothing you couldn't sit there and reach out to hundreds, if not thousands of keepers and ask advice. Now we have this all this the Reddits, the Facebook, the forum you name it all these Instagram I don't know there's probably other things I'm missing all these things out there that allow us to connect with other people that love these animals and share information but the other side of it is with those come the personalities with those come the influencers the folks that are trying to make money off it they're trying to make a name for themselves and I don't think that always jives with what's good for the hobby because I do think there is a point where some people they forget about the animals, they put the animals second, and they're more about how do I get more people watching me, and I do think that's a dangerous trap to fall into, but there are also the people out there that don't do that, and they stay true to themselves, and those are the ones we really need to support and jack up. So to go back to the original guiding question for this, when is it okay to give advice? As I admitted to in the beginning of this, I can't tell you that. It's like when folks come to me and ask, when is it? When should I be able to keep old worlds? Am I ready for old worlds? That's something you need to know inside. When are you ready to give advice? I would say when you feel confident that the information you're sharing is 100% accurate. I would say that if you're wishy-washy on it, again, the old this worked for me trick is pretty good because that admits right there you're not saying I'm an authority on it. You're giving an opinion and saying this has worked well for me. Whatever it may be, the type of substrate you're using, the enclosure setup, the temperatures, whatever it may be, this worked for me. But don't feel obligated to jump in. I think we did a topic a while back on unsolicited advice. When is it okay to jump in and give advice? And it kind of falls in the same area. But I think for a lot of us, we get approached. We, we're not necessarily, this doesn't necessarily cover you offering your opinion on a Facebook group or a forum. It's also sometimes when you're asked. So I think it all comes down to recognize where you're at. Be honest with where you're at. I have had folks come on and comment on my videos and like somebody will ask a question and they'll say, listen, I've only been keeping a year, but this is what I've done and given some great advice. That's awesome. You've, you've prefaced it with, here's my experience level. I'm not a master. I'm not a, a expert by any stretch of imagination, but here is something that works for me to give good advice. That's the way to do it. Package it in a way that you're being honest with yourself, that you're being honest with the person who is asking for the advice. If it's something you don't have necessarily experience on, but you do know where sources are that talk about it. And I've done this many times where somebody's been like, hey, how do you keep this species? And I'll be like, hey, you know, unfortunately, I've not kept this 
this species yet. However, while doing some research, I did find these links, and I will link to some stuff on arachnoboards where people talk about it. I'll link to Mike's basic tarantulas and say these are good sources of information. Check these out. There's nothing wrong with not making the information your own. I think there's this belief that if you pass over good information and don't make it yours that you're not credible, absolutely not. I do this all the time. There's nothing wrong with going... I don't have the information personally. I haven't done this, raised this species personally. I haven't encountered this personally. However, here are some great sources of information that may help you out. That's awesome. Let's just be a little more transparent in where we're at. And if we're doing those channels, if we're doing, you know, Instagram, I never realized I kind of always used Instagram is just a way to post pictures up. So I had a gallery that I could show folks that asked me about my tarantulas. My favorite thing to do is when I talk about, you know, I have 200 something tarantulas, I immediately go, hold on a minute. And I whip out my Instagram and flip through it. And they're like, there's so many colors. Oh my gosh, that's what it's for. I never, for a while, I didn't acknowledge the social media aspect of it like a dummy. Cause obviously there are people out there that are Instagram famous. That's another whole side of it where folks start doing the Instagram thing for the same reason I do. And then all of a sudden they start getting a following because they're posting beautiful pictures and people want to know information. Just be truthful. Be truthful to yourself. Be truthful to the spiders. If you put the spiders first, I always say this and it's corny and it's trite, but it's true. If you put the animals first, if you love these animals, you enjoy keeping them, you wouldn't want to ever do anything that would cause yours harm. You also wouldn't want to pass anything along that could cause others harm. So let's keep that in mind when we're doling out the information, when we're doling out our advice. And please be nice to people when you give advice. Take a positive tone. I don't care, and I've said this a million times, I don't care if it's you've heard this question 20 times that day. Answer it politely or don't answer it at all. I think that's very important too. So sorry, no actual spot. I think the other thing to take, keep in mind is every keeper is different. Some people take that information and are able to use it much more quickly. So there, are there going to be people that can give a good advice after not being in the hobby very long? Absolutely. Are there going to be people that have been in the hobby for longer that don't feel confident enough to do it? Absolutely. I think that's just the nature. That's being human. I, I totally get that. But if we could all stick to those rules of just being very honest and truthful and transparent about where we're at, where our information comes from, what we know, what we don't know, I think the hobby would be a much better place. And I think folks coming into the hobby, new folks coming into the hobby would have a much smaller minefield of misinformation to navigate as they start to develop as keepers. I think even if we could trim 50% of the static out there, that's just people coming in with this weird stuff that isn't right and isn't true and trying to pretend like they're experts, I think it would be so much better off. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully in the very least, it gives people something to think about. It gives it a way to frame it. That's how I do it. That's how I've tried to do it. And it's worked well for me. So again, I'm talking about my own experiences. I've been doing this for a while, at least the talking to people about how to keep these part. And I've definitely found that if you can make yourself approachable, if you keep, stay humble, stay open-minded, the information you're going to pass on is usually going to be pretty spot on. And at least in the very least, you're not going to be passing on misinformation. So for folks who've been asking me that question, and I've been asked quite a bit over the years, that would be my answer. I mean, there's no, again, I'm not here to tell people when they can do it, but that would be the best way I could sum up my thoughts on that, hopefully if more people follow that, again, we can have, we to come back to the beginning of this, the Tarantula Hobby Sustainment Project and us coalescing as a hobby. Every hobby has infighting, the reptile hobby, snake hobby, fish, tropical fish hobby. All these hobbies have the infighting, but 
it's useless energy. It's a waste of time. And we all enjoy hobbies that can be taken away from us for any at any given time. It's important that we come together, work together, work with each other, put aside our differences, as corny as it may sound, and make sure that if we do have more legislation, do have more laws, things that impact the hobby in our country or even in other countries, there's other issues in other countries as well, that we're able to come together and do something to fix it. But the first step to that is kind of creating an environment where people are more welcome when they come on these social media groups, when they come on these Facebook groups, when and also not passing misinformation. I think that's going to be all key moving ahead. So that will about do it for this one. The other thing that got me thinking about this topic, well, the whole Tarantula Hobby Sustainment Project, thinking about us getting together, good information, all this, just wanting to see the hobby more unified in general. I did uh, my recent video on YouTube involved my Pisolotheria subfusca lowland, one of the Sri Lankan species that you can no longer sell across state lines. So they're very difficult to get if you're in a state where nobody's breeding them, unfortunately. And that was one I was excited to put up because I haven't done a pokey video in a while, pokey rehousing video, pokey husbandry video. And those are kind of my thing back in the day. I love doing pokey videos. That's where I feel like I'm at my best because it's working with a species that a lot of people are very scared of that won't take a chance on. And I love being able to show off, look at, I just got it from point A to point B with no problems whatsoever. So that kind of got me thinking about this whole thing too, because I do find it sad that I can't just go out right now and buy those Sri Lankan species of Pisolotheria because they, I, I have to get them in somebody in my, from somebody in my state and there aren't a lot of people breeding and selling them. So, and then that got me thinking of how can we be better as a hobby and be more supportive. So that's what kind of brought us to our topic today. So anybody who wants to check that out, I did get some good pictures, good images of it. They're not the Christmas because it's through the side of the enclosure. Unfortunately, this is one of the ones, if I touch that enclosure, he's she's going to bolt behind her hide. But she'll sit out in the open a bit in the morning for me to get some footage of her. I'm also putting together, or trying to put together a kind of a showcase for all the Pisolotheria species I currently have. And I ended up getting really good footage of five of them so far, four of which I've had nothing on. So that'll be in the future. And I'll talk more about that when it comes time. Hopefully, we'll start working on that this week. But Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you got something out of it. Hope you got people to just think a little bit differently when they interact online. That'll do it for this one. As always, stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.